Hey Jeff, how are you? Hey mate. Hey, you all right? Good to see you. Hello Jeff, how you doing mate? You all right? Hello Jeff, can you hear me now? Yeah. My God, what a faff on. I've had a real faff on today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's been a long time since we last seen each other. I know, I want to say it's definitely in a pit somewhere. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, how are you? Hey there. Hey, how's it going? Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Oh, hey, Alice. Good to see you there. Right, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Waiting for Raquel. Excited to get to chat to you. The Big Jeff Chat. This week, Bill Ryder Jones. So for me, gigs are the cause of quite a lot of anxiety. Mm. Um, because uh -huh. it's and being on that side of the stage can be. But for you, it's a real. Um, it's a real lifeline, isn't it, to, to, to get out and yeah. communicate with people. Yeah, well, I, can, I can see both sides of it. So I've, I've also been on the stage myself, and I know, I know, I know how difficult it can be to put the spotlight on yourself. But so, I've also, but I've also saw it's a way of like, I guess, communicating with people, and also like the the other thing which I found is that each, especially with the independent venues, each one of the venues will have its own mini community formed so around it. So like, um, and. So like I did like a whole UK tour for Independent Venue Week back in January, which yeah. was really good. And we ended at a place called the Boilerman, which is in Guildford. Oh, Guildford? I don't think I've yeah. ever played in Guildford. No, it's very Guildford, it's a bit of a dead end town, but it's like, um, so I, I, used to, I went to, well I went to music college there. Well that was the only thing I know about Guildford is there's a very, very good um, yeah. music college, because one of my ex-girlfriend's brother, uh, went there. Right. Yeah, I went there for a year as well, and there was there was there was next to no live music, and it was really, and it's like, come on, you've got a massive music college, you need to have somewhere for these people to play because if otherwise, it's just like even though it's like half an hour away from London, half an hour train ride away. Yeah. You don't want to be going to London for gigs all the time. No. You want to be having some. I mean, like occasionally they have things happen at like the Civic Hill sort of thing. Yeah. But, or like you'd get like once in a blue moon someone come and play like the university sort of thing. But still that 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 wouldn't be very often at all really. And and, and that, that sense of community that you mentioned. Yeah. Um with the independent venues, you think that's more that that must be stronger with the independent venues I should think than, than the bigger ones because it's, it's easier to get to know people there's less staff people I yeah. guess put in a lot more time in and they, they and also there's a better there's a nicer atmosphere yeah and there's a lot more friendly it's not like it's, not, it's less like kind of like like gigs finished everyone has to be booted out sort of thing yeah. or like yeah. um there's less there's less pressure on people I think to some extent because of like um I've got to know like whether it's people who like at the exchange who are like also kind of run specialist subject records or like at the like at the boiler room gig mm. um which I went to go and see John play on the final night of the tour. Um they literally upstairs they had like a whole like load of artist studios, they had a oh, really? parlour, they had a pizza rear out the back. Nice. They had um uh they also had like 
some like kind of technology workshop space as well. So it's like kind of this was so it was properly like a little hub. Yeah. Well, I think you've, I think you see that a bit more because the people who who set up their own venues they do it as a reaction to your mm. to the venues that pre-existed and and because of the competition yeah seems like they find these quite ingenious ways of making them not just venues mm. and not just pizzerias or whatever like the, yeah. what was the place we played the first night of our tour and i can't remember where it was i don't even remember which, which part of the country it was but the venue had its own brewery and we played in front of these huge uh vats of lager oh, wow. fruit and it was lethal it was I can imagine for you it'd be quite lethal. It was terrible, terrible idea. First day of the tour. Ridiculous. <laughs> well, especially, especially as it almost like be home brewed lager sort of thing. Well, and they're so proud that they give you a bunch of it. You know, like this is our, you know, we make this. this. And, yeah. you, and being the polite English gentleman that I am, um, I going to take some. Had to drink. I've got to find out what it's called though, really quickly, because it was such a great venue. Oh, yeah, my memory is just getting worse. Is it like down in Totnes or something like that? It was up north. It was definitely up north. It was by, it's a famous painter who comes from there because there was an exhibition on round the corner and I think I'd hurt my back and I had a mood, so I didn't go and check it out. God, right. Change the subject and I will... Yeah. Because I want, they should get a shout because they were lovely people. Yeah, and it, it, an amazing it was quite an experience, you know. In fact, I'll just text. I'll text my friend Matthew Sill because he, yeah, he came to the gig and I think he, um, he really enjoyed. Any of the time which I've ever heard of something like that happening was it Sea Change Festival? Sea Change is great. Not this, yeah, and yeah. They, they 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 quite often get the headliners. They they make like. Forget the headliner's name, like a signature brewery. Oh, really? Yeah. That's nice. So, like, the first, so first year they, they had British Sea Power headlining, so they had British, obviously like a British Sea Power themed kind of brewery sort of thing. Yeah. And they had like, um, it's just like the idea of like kind of playing in unusual spaces. Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't think of anywhere weird than that. We've played in libraries before and I've played in churches. Mm. But um, not, ne none of them have ever been as um, problematic. No. As brewery, you know? I wouldn't say like necessarily problematic, but sometimes, you know, like um, like in Bristol, we've got several venues which are on a boat. Yeah, like, of course, yeah. Like grain barge and we've got the Thackla. The Thackla, yeah, I know it well, yeah. Have you ever played the Grain Barge? I think I have. That's a great little place. I mean, that, that is, that's like literally maximum about 100 people. Oh really? Yeah, it's a really comfy little boat. See, that's what I. That's. See, if if I had my way, it'd be a comfy little boat that I live on. Yeah. And we just go to ports around the UK, and then people come on. Yeah. And then bugger off again. And, yeah. just, and someone dri someone drives me to, like, to different parts of the country as well. Hey. You can almost take them to different parts of the country. That's it. It could be an on-off. You know, you buy yeah. a ticket, you start in Liverpool. You know, to Hollyhead, get down to Bristol. Yeah, and then you can get down, like kind of, you can get like all the way around the channel. Yeah, be fantastic. Yeah, that would be such an interesting way of like kind of a touring as well. I can only dream, Jeff. 
I know, to be honest, it, it, it probably makes things a lot easier because then you just sort of have to do more often just like, you like. Well, I feel like logistically all the, all the hard bits would be someone else's problem. Yeah. And <laughs> I would get to sit on a boat for two weeks instead of going up the M25 and eating at Burger King all the time. Yeah, I know. That, that's, that's the thing is obviously when you're on tour, it's obviously like kind of knowing how to like keep a balance of like eating well and like kind of... To be honest, this is why this is why the I'm not on a, a big sell for the independent venues, but that's where you notice that's where you get looked after the most. They're much more like yeah. if you, when we go to Europe, the local promoters because you're English, um, they they fight to get you a little bit, and so it's not uncommon for a European promoter to take you to the parents' house for tea. You know, yeah. it's quite often like, oh, we're going to take you somewhere nice, and it'll be either a local cafe or someone's family or their house and, and I think the independent venues like the um what's your one up in Glasgow that's got the vegan restaurant um is it Hogan Plank? I don't remember um came to that sounds a little bit like the sort of thing which is strange because the exchange we've got has got a vegan cafe slash restaurant sort of thing where's that it's in Bristol in oh down, down, down by yours yeah. I'm just sorry, I'm just texting that friend of mine to find out where that gig was. That's fair enough. What would you call it? Brewery? Yeah. Yeah. And where's that? I know I'm gonna be saying it so many times during this chapel. But anyway, yeah, so um I think you do get that with, with your independent venues, you know. I think I remember no slight on them, but you know, when you you're playing the O2, any O2, it's more or less kind of like there's your lager, there's your packet yeah. of crisps. And there's some guy who's got a bit of an ego like on your case. And I, I do think yeah. it can be quite lonely being on tour because there's so many highs, ups and downs. And walking into a place, I get a real kick out of anyone who's passionate. Mm. It's a real... Because I'm guilty at times for not being very passionate or being a little bit apathetic. So that on tour, especially with the highs and lows, you walk into a place and someone's got a little bit of gumption, a bit... Mm. excited that you're there it gives you a right boost you know of course because it's, it's like someone comes up to you and gives you like a massive welcoming hug it's like that kind of reassurance that you know that you're in a safe space Absolutely. you know that they're, they're, they're going to try and look after you as much as possible yeah man also sometimes it could be just a, such a simple thing like even making a cup of tea or something like that especially if yeah. they can see like the artist yeah. looking tired looking like kind of either tired or stressed out well weirdly i spoke to um a guy called Reese the other day did a piece on Par Street. Um, there's a studio in Liverpool called Par Street. Uh, really good recording studio that looks like it might be getting. Is that Reese Buchanan? Pardon? Is that my friend? What's the surname? Is it Reese? I might know him. Well, he worked at Rough Trade. Yep, I know Reese. I know you do. I know, I know, I know <laughs> that Reese. Yeah, I know. We, we, we had a little chat the other day, and, um, and he was like, Oh, we met before at Rough Trade Bristol. And I was like, and it's you know I say I've got a terrible memory, but nice things stick in your mind. Yeah. No, I was under the weather at that show, and they made me. Um, they just kept bringing out like lemon, lemon honey whisk, uh, hot toddies for me. Yeah. And it was my anxiety. It was the the release the the week I released my last record, Yawn. So it was I, one which I was at. So I think I might be that. You were there. Yeah. We, we had a chat. In fact, you were one. You know, it was an, that was actually when we, I think we probably first 
Yeah. We talked, but that was that was a really quite important conversation for me because I felt like I say, Matt, I was having a panic attack after panic attack. The albums come out. I was meant to do weirdly those intimate record store shows are kind of worse because. Yeah. And I'd I'd become aware that my drinking was a problem, so I was trying to tone that down. And but they were just so lovely, and then. It's little things like that stick in your mind. And I remember doing the photo booth there. And yeah, long yeah. story short. Yeah, you helped calm me down, I think, as well. I think you helped calm me down a bit that day as well. Just by seeing a friendly face. It's like, hey, friendly right. face. Oh, you can't be shy at friendly faces, man. Everyone knows you. Yeah, no, that's, tr- that's kind of true. But I mean, like, when, when it's, but I still get slight anxiety sometimes. And so that what I find actually does help me is saying it's, it's if, if, if I had like a friendly, non-patronising face. <laughs> oh, well, I, <laughs> I know. You don't know me well enough then, Jeff, because I'm probably the most patronising person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, I still got a sense of warmth of you. But that's, that's, like, good. that's good. You know, that's the thing, it says. Like, when I mean like, patronising, I mean like people have been like kind of mean-spirited. So I can take people being sarcastic and I can take people... It's like, I, I get you. I get you. Do you, do you, do you, do you feel like, I mean, aside from the, do you feel like you get that a lot? Do you feel patronised quite often? Um, I do, personally. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess sometimes, but then I guess it depends. Um, I'm not always aware of it. Right, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess sometimes it, it, it depends on like, I mean, I've noticed it a little bit recently where I've just been feeling a little bit edgy with people coming up to me, oh, you're missing the gigs, and then, like, I've still got live music playing on my phone sort of thing. Um, and that, that can be a little bit... But that, surely, yeah. that, that, that sound, if someone's asking you if you're missing your gigs, that's them just trying to... Yeah. Trying to engage, really, because I think it's, it can be quite hard, because I know when... Because we had that chat with Laris, you and me had that chat the other yeah. week, didn't we? And I, when I messaged you about that, that was a concern of mine, and it might have just been like, mm. you know, a bit patronising, like you know. Well, no, you weren't at all. Maybe you don't it's have. It, it's, but but pat, being patronising, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It can be. But trust me, you definitely were not patronising whatsoever. No, but you know what I mean about the act of asking if you needed someone yeah. to talk to. It can at times be a little like that, but so yeah, it's tricky. So, Jeff, yeah, are you uh, missing your life gigs? Yeah, I am. <laughs> sorry, but no, because I, I think the thing is, for me, it's more than just like the actual music. It's the, the everything which goes around with it. Yeah. So it's like being able to see people, hug people. Well, that's one thing we talked about. Like that, I, I spoke to my therapist this morning. And, and that's the thing that I noticed was how, m- how much I'm kind of ready for someone to, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm quite standoffish as a person, obviously my partner and yeah. my best friends and my parents, but like maybe even not a hug, but just to be in the presence of, of other people sometimes can really put me out of my comfort zone. Sometimes I wish yeah. I didn't have to be near people, but right now, but then sometimes it's... feel it, yeah. you know? Like that needs that that connection that. Um, and sometimes I think it's good to also like listen to yourself and think about like when you do need the distancing and then when you do need like kind of interaction with people, and actually true. listening to when your body's telling you things. Well, are you quite good at that? Because I, 
I'm always the last person to know, it seems, when I need, like, you know, like, I'll kind of spend too much time inside and wonder why I'm going a bit loopy. And then everyone will go, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you've not been doing X, Y, and Z. And I'll go, well, it's been months since I've been for a swim or yeah. I'm useless at it. I don't know how you are. Like, I can be, sometimes I can, can be, but then all of a sudden, sudden I'll see something and I'll go like, like, um, like obviously like with, with my painting sort of thing, I sometimes I take it out by that way. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, like on the weekend I got, like on Saturday I was really quite stressed and anxious. Um, and I get actually kind of anxiety in kind of quite hot weather sometimes. Yeah. Especially with like, kind of more like, like bodily anxiety sort of thing. And... I was out on a walk, uh, on my daily walks or things, so I always make sure that I try and get out every day. Yeah. After whatever the weather is, like, um, like maybe like the odd couple of days here and there, I've pretty much always made sure that I've gone for a good hour long walk, sort of That's thing, good. in the evenings. Partly to clear my head, and then also partly um, just as a way of like, kind of getting out and being present with with like kind of also like nature around me because I've got several really nice parks just yeah. around the corner for me and then um then I, but um but because people sometimes throw stuff out so if someone threw out a whole load of canvases oh shit that, that he'd been spraying on I mean like I've, I'll show you one of the paintings that, that he did yes, I'm actually going to I'm actually probably going to keep as it is because it's a really nice painting what is this? Hold it up. Sorry, so was was this on the canvas as you found it? Yeah. Nice. I I certainly think you can add to it though. Yeah, I might do. Um, I'm personally, I'm gonna, I'm thinking I'm gonna leave this one because I've got, cause I picked up another seven. <laughs> like right. I, I literally, <laughs> literally walked past the place and went, hang on, canvases. You know, like so then that gave me the the impetus to paint them on Sunday. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did what I call what I call the sad self portrait. It's basically, I've got it. Yeah, it's in the kitchen. Shall we, shall we go and get it? Go on. Okay. You can grab it. Well, if you want to, though. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I know you, Jeff. You want to show off. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I'll get my guitar out in a minute. Salt. Brewery. Skipton. There we go. There we go. Hopefully you can see this. Yeah. Uh, this is your sad self-portrait. Yeah. Like yeah. it. Shave in that picture. Oh, there it is. Yeah, it's basically. Yeah. I, I was originally intending it to be entirely black and white. Then, well, like, did. I put like lots of, but then I put like kind of added color to it to basically to add more depth. Give yourself a little green beard there. I like it. Yeah, it's like it's like green and black and purple. It's cool, mate. Really I guess it's like well, I guess it's like if you take if you took if you were to take a photograph and you see all the shading sort of thing. Yeah. There's no, no yeah. shading inside of one colour. Really. 
Because no shading's ever one colour. Right, okay. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a complete um, dolt when it comes to um, visual art. I, I just, I'm impressed that you can even make someone look like a face. I mean, to be honest, I'm not, I'm, I'm like, I'm no expert at it either. I just do it. <laughs> yeah, we can get quite far by doing that, as it turns out. Yeah, I know. Well, I've been, like, well, I've been about 60-something paintings in the space of about five years. You're going to have to move out soon. Yeah, to, yeah to, well, actually, half of them are in someone else's house at the moment. Oh, yeah, you said, yeah, cause you had a friend who was helping you with yeah. uh, organise a exhibition, right? Yeah, so, um, you know, um, is it Crosstown Promotions? No, I'm sorry. Uh, well, it's my friend Connell who runs, who runs Crosstown, Crosstown Promotions, it's his, like his wife. He's helping you. Yeah. So I think well, we're going to do a at the moment. Hey? I think we're going to do like a virtual exhibition at the moment. What a great idea. If only someone had suggested that to you three weeks ago. I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I was thinking it back then, but, but it just comes the communication me. side of things. I'd be, I think that's a great idea, mate. Really good. And before I forget, that, that brewery gig was in Skipton. Ooh. And it was called... Oh, God, there's so many... There's so there's so many breweries in Skipton. Is it that one? So, oh, Saltaire. Oh, yeah. Really good. Yeah. Yeah, I've looked at that. I played in front of them, all those. Oh, wow. I, but, and it, it kind of... Well, it's a really beautiful building as well. It was stunning. And you, you know how I like to diffuse gigs with talking rubbish and making bad jokes. I didn't have to at that gig because there was pipes all around that kept making kind of weird sounds. And every time there was a quiet bit, you'd hear this. Mm. People were just laughing, you know, like throughout the whole show. It was really fantastic. Anyway, I guess if it, they would have been laughing, because of it, especially if it came to happen rhythmically perfectly. And it, and it did. And I think the first time it happened, it was during one of the quieter bits and I made a joke about it. And then obviously once it's like, you know, don't think of elephants, don't think of pink elephants, it's there, you can't get away from it anymore. Yeah. So it was like, a, you know, I don't know, it wasn't a, a big show, it was 150, 200 people, something like that. No, but then the thing is, so, so, but that's sometimes the best, they're more memorable, and, you know, like some of, it's like some of the best shows I've been in, I haven't been in necessarily in the big ones, but they've been in the small ones. Certainly for me, I, I feel like I'm, I'm way more comfortable. Mm. I think that's, Actually, it's tricky. There's like a, there's like a, uh, what would you call it? A sweet spot, you know? Yeah. Like 200 people, I think. It's just enough for me not to feel like embarrassed and, and not enough for me to be petrified, you know? That's, that's... I think you should never feel embarrassed about what you're doing, Bill. No, but you feel embarrassed if like, um, no, you shouldn't, and you're right about that. Um, but, you can, but you can, because, I, you know, I never felt like I was meant to be on stage and you know, I was always quite quiet and, and now and like I have to resort to like kind of another persona um, you know to get through it so I've, I'm a lot more bullish and a lot more brackish and a bit more um, gobshitey um, 
and I play up to this kind of drink at Northern kind of thing. And, and, <clears throat> and I hate that, you know, so I do get quite embarrassed. Um, that's I think it's easy to do, like, to be honest. It's, like, it's easy to self-criticise yourself, and it's easy to, like, when you think about it, like, kind of almost, like, creating a tension within yourself. And that's where a lot of, like, the, for me, like, a lot of the stuff of, like, self-doubt will come in. Yeah. It just comes in, like, in when you're, like, in the... When you're feeling particularly oppressive about yourself. It's um, terrific, isn't it? It's the, the worst critic you can have. And it's such a shame as well, because I'm sure it's the same with you, with your, your paintings. Yeah. Well, I, I can do something on a Thursday night, write some music here. This is where I write my music. Yeah. And Thursday night be like, I've nailed it. I've done exactly what yeah. I wanted to say. And then Friday morning, you listen to it again and think, that's a bit sixth form or that's a bit, you know, that's, yeah. that, that's, not, that's not what I wanted. And it, it can be. That seesaw, like creation, creating things, is such a gift and such a beautiful thing just to have. But the self the, the self-critical analysis of everything you do is um, you get that imposter syndrome thing, you know. I think that's, I think that's to some extent what has happened to me. Yeah. To some extent, but especially it's also like I've done other things. Like I used to have like a rap split personality. I used to do shows but I'd have to improvise the entire thing. Really? So like lyrically I wouldn't necessarily be able to remember all the words which I'd written. But uh, so I had to like tell and it'd all be very personal life stories that I'd be telling. And but I'd create like a kind of and I'd have to create like an imaginary world. And then Sounds familiar, yeah. Then like the other thing which I do which I've been so I've also um up until recently I was really well, with, with like kind of a filmmaking group, and so we, so I made I did like three or four projects with them. Where I made short films, but I'm, but I'm so um, self-judgmental. I didn't know actually how to promote them or how to like kind of yeah you know kind of put, put people going because I found because I find myself feeling as soon as I see my face or I see like the things which I draw and being animated. Then I tend to find it, kind of, yeah. <laughs> the, the voice in my head saying, "Oh, this could be better. This could be better." Sort of thing. I think the the key to that is take some money off someone up front, mm. or lie to them and tell them you're going to make an album or whatever it is. Get them to give you some money, make it, and then then it's not up to you anymore. They just put it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I really struggled. Like, am I? My first record wasn't so much of a problem, but the second one where I sang more, I could the world could have swallowed me up. You know, I just the thought of that going out into the world kept me awake. You know, like not dealing with the pressure with it, something. Sort of yeah, well, just delivering yourself because you have to accept it once. There's a weird ownership to art, and you can create it in your bedroom in your underpants, which I do quite often. But once, yeah. once it's out there, the context is all different. Um, and people, every person somehow now has the right, I mean, people do have the right to criticize and critique anything, but we've got to a point now where it's got very personal, mm. you know? You, yeah. you can put something out there and anyone can shoot you down. And 
there's a lot of people who live for that and it really really hurts you know mm. you know I'm, i feel i'm certainly less bothered these days because um you know i feel a bit more grounded but certainly in the early days you could mm. if you, you posted something and someone slags it off how is that not gonna hurt you know it's, no. uh, but it's part of the risk and, and and at the same time i think someone said to me that you know if if you get criticized 10 times but one person finds joy in it then then that's more than than you can expect from you know from our that's quite it, it is it is just the communication of of the absurdity of of life and the and the weirdness and the challenges that we all go through and then also, also the other thing is, is, is like learning how to value it as well. I mean, like, so I had, like, with me, like, I post my, my, my paintings up on Facebook and what, what have you. And then, I, and then I had a few people, like, actually wanted to buy them, but didn't know how to value them. So I was too scared of putting a price tag on them. <laughs> yeah. I was too scared of, like, do I undervalue them by, by, yeah. by, by, by here, you know, have it for, like, 10, 20 quid or, like, this is something that, that I'm very fortunate to have a manager who was who, who's very critical of how I valued myself early on because I was doing I was producing albums for nothing you know next to nothing like yeah. quite just quite happy that people wanted me involved you know that kind of thing mm. and and it's it's a real um it, I wouldn't know how to do it. I mean, my daily rate as a producer, I still don't know what it is. Yeah. Like, it would be impossible for me to work with an artist knowing that they, and I say this to everyone I work with, don't talk to me about the money side of it because I, so I, yeah, I can't even, I don't envy you there really, yeah. to be honest with you, mate. I, and I wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> Just say 200 quid for everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but then, but then, but yeah. So how did you do it? How did you? I don't, I, I don't know, because I haven't really sold any, to be honest. Oh, right, okay. I, I sold one to Dad for models. Okay. Um, so he, he commissioned me to do it, sort of thing. And he basically yeah, said, look, this is what I'll give you for, for, draw, for, for drawing. I just went, well, okay. I mean, successful pop stars shouldn't be your starting point, because they've probably got more money than everyone else, right? Yeah. But I think... I think it's whatever you want it to be, really. You know, I think I I, I would always go low with my mm. with what I do. I'd always sooner be the hero who's under undersold themselves than than you know. I also I also have a sense of with you that the projects that you work on are very much like kind of or the people that you work with are very much people that you have like kind of a bit of a relationship with. Maybe in some ways. I think. Would I be right in assuming that? Yeah. Like well, some sort of friendship with people that you know personally. Well, no, this. I mean, I, I kind of enforce myself on anyone who I find interesting and I enter their lives and stick to them like a barnacle. So if, for example. <laughs> like, like right now. Like right now, yeah. Um, like Brooke Bentham, for example. Yeah. Um, I didn't That's a great record, by the way. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. N nice one. That's one of my. Uh, proudest moments but we didn't know each other see what happens is managers being managers um they go let's get them you know 
someone suggested me to work with Brooke and then the managers were like talking to each other and they're like, let's, yeah. get, the, let's get the artists together. And they set up this phone call and Brooke being the, um, the, the person that she is, was just like, what, what the fuck's this? What, I don't know what we're doing. Hi, how are you? Kind of, and that made me laugh. And we just, we spent the first conversation that our managers had set up just talking about managers and how pointless this is. And, but in their infinite wisdom, it turned out, and, and it turned out well. And as a result, I'd say Brooke is in my top five friends. You know, she's, so, she's a great songwriter. She's an unbelievable song. Well, she's half a great songwriter. I'm the other half. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think you are right though. I do work with people that I've known for a while. And I think that happened at the start of my career, my career mainly because I was cheap. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it's also because of it working with people that you feel that you can trust as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, Jeff, I've been, I just don't have time. Musicians, you know, a dickhead musician is probably about as bad as it gets. Like, I can't be around. I care yeah. so much for music and I live by it and it gives me so much that I cannot bear to be around. You know the type, you know. Yeah. Um, despite being one of those people occasionally myself. So I tend to only take on jobs that I couldn't bear not to do. So Brooke, when I heard Brooke's recordings, I was like, oh, I'm the perfect guy for this. Like, yeah. I'm absolutely, you know, I'm not, I can't, I can't promise you radio with it, but I know how to make a great record with this girl. Whereas our, our girl, who again, I, I, I became very, very close with, I'm very fond of them all as, as individuals and as a band. Um, that was one of them where I was like, this band don't need a producer. Yeah. But they just need someone who can kind of make them laugh a bit when they're stressed. And, and that's all yeah. I really did with that record, you know? So it's, um, but yeah, you're right. I think, I hope that I've made a good impression on everyone I've worked with. I, I'd take, one thing that I think is very important to me that I do as a producer is I try and communicate. I try and tell people that it's all right to commit a hundred percent and risk, risk looking like you care too much, you know, I think, yeah. and, and, and try and be wary of, you know, I try and help people along with, with some of the lessons I've learned. And as a result, I do get people texting me out of the blue. People I've been work, I've not worked with for two years saying, hey, what do you think of this? And yeah. get your advice. I mean, I wouldn't take advice from me, but. Um, no, but uh, so, 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 people might obviously value it, otherwise people wouldn't be, wouldn't be texting you, would they? Well, they wouldn't. And it's, it's quite a hard thing to learn that. You know, yeah. you, you know, the way we feel about ourselves, mm. you know, is, um, is super distorted, isn't it? You know, um, but yeah. So yeah, I think um, it's it's important to me that that um, I only take on jobs that have the right. I don't want to sound too new age, but energy is a real thing for me. You know, I, oh, definitely. I think it's the uh, thing for a lot of people actually. Well, the, the only reason I bring it up, like it's for me, is that I'm very new to it. I'm all of a sudden aware that people live by this. And so it's because it's become this, you know, this gut instinct has become a real, because I'm the kind of person who over, overthinks. Mm. I have obsessive rumination. I've medicated for it. 
the brain tends not to stop. Yeah. And as a result, I find alcohol and yeah. and um, and Valium helps a lot, and, and the medication on. But um, but as I've reduced the amount that I drink and the amount that I take, I've become more aware of this. Um, this need to be around genuinely good people, you know, and I, I think, I think I've, I've at times in my life been a very selfish and not a very nice person, but I've always, I've never meant ill, I've never meant harm or anything like that. I've been a dickhead and a child yeah. and a user and an abuser and, and you know, uh, but, and I think that, I think that, I don't know if that's me, I'm late to the party, I'm, I'm 37 now, but it's just become very, I've become very aware of when I'm in the presence of someone who I can't be near. Yeah. And it comes like that now and you just, and I just go, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. You, I'm going over here, you know? Yeah. So, 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 so the same with me. So sometimes if someone makes me feel really awkward, yeah, I won't necessarily say it out loud or always react to it, but it'll definitely make me feel a bit weirdly frozen. Yeah, right. Um, is that? Do you feel like that's an in instinct that you've got now, where you just you can just take yourself away? Because I think I've had, I think I've been drawn to people with bad energy for most of my life. You know, or bad energy. You know, people yeah. who will kind of uh, treat me a certain way because it's probably what I think I deserve or whatever. Um, it's a very hard loop to break. You know, that's a, that's a very hard loop to break. I think that. Some of it also comes from being awestruck with people as well. So if I, if I tend to be like awestruck by someone, right. I, um, I once bumped into John Parrish and PJ Harvey together, and that, that was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, could, I could just about come with John Parrish, but then PJ Harvey next to him was just like, I didn't know. It, it was like in the Colston Hall. And um, she, she was there because of. Um, Mick Harvey was playing in a tribute gig to David Lynch. And and oh. um, so it was like an all-star kind of performance. So like they had Jenny Beth from Savages, um, Connor from Villagers, and like kind of uh, Stuart Staples from the Tinder Sticks. And bit of a cat. When you just think of turn around, like John turned around and was like, oh, like this. Like, oh, Jeff. Like, oh, hi, Jeff. And it's like, <laughs> her puppet's like, oh, it's something freaking out, but like, because I was in a seated gig, like somebody trying to run away, almost tripping over one of the seats and falling into Jenny Beth. Oh God, yeah, I can relate to that. But also, I was, I was going to bring up actually John Parrish's name because of I feel that some of your production style is quite similar to his. Oh, I'll take that. In the way that he like like in the in the way that he brings out melody, a lot of stuff that they they work. That's really sweet. You'll have to make you'll have to suggest us. I'm not overly familiar. So you'll have to suggest some um Ooh, he's loads of stuff, you know. He's done loads of stuff. Love still the PJ Harvey records he's worked on. Um, and well, that, that, in, in in truth, that's the only reason I know his name. Well he's worked for you know, like Yo Tango, this the kit. Um he's done Is he still active, uh, the producer? Yeah. He produced their last album. Um, Aldous Harding, both her albums are produced by... Oh, the Aldous Harding records. Yeah, and then also he did... Um, what else has he done that I can think of? He's done some really amazing film soundtrack work, which is really beautiful. 
and they released some thrill jockey records. Um, well, I mean, he's done loads. He's, he's pretty much like kind of he's produced everyone from like, I mean, anyone that he, that he really likes. He's basically ended up worked with for right. years. So how we get Giant Sand. Um, it's pretty much, I, I got a sense that it's, he's like one of those really kind of easygoing people that can basically just get along with anybody. And he's like, yeah, that, and that's the thing is that he's not at all show offy at all. He's like really, really, really meek and mild. Right. I like him. I think I'll get in touch. I, I just wanted to ask you, um, which I'm sure you've already touched upon on your blog, but you talk some of the venues that you've that have been particularly important to you. Mm. I'd like to know. Well, definitely the Louisiana has been a massive, massive, massive part of me. Because um, of like, I think it's like it was like that was definitely one of the venues where I first really started making friends. Like, have been people that I'd stay in touch with. Great venue, good owners too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, great owners. Um, the it's like a family-run place as well. So, um, I found myself especially like. What's the um, family name? Uh, Scalacci. It's Scalacci, isn't it? That's yeah. right. Because there was a rumour that it was the famous footballer Scalacci's brother. It is. It is. That's yeah. unbelievable, that. Yeah, that, 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 that is. Yeah. See, I was told that when I was about 16 and believed it at 16. Because we played there, I think we played there in 2000. The first time we were, we were down in Bristol. Um, yeah. And we never did very well in Bristol because I think at the time it was coming off the back of a big porter said, "Yeah, you know, like trip up thing, massive attack and all." And um, I was like, "I believed it." And then someone said, "You know, that's a lie." So I've been telling people for ten years, "Oh, that's not true," but it's actually true. I think it's true. Uh, well, ask, ask Johnny. Yeah. Ask, 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 uh, ask Meg from Look, the league. I, I don't need to. I believe you. I just think that's fantastic. I think, I think it is true. I think he is. He is related to the. He's definitely Great. related to them. Like maybe like half brother or something like that. But he's definitely. Related, he's definitely part of the Scalacci tribe. <laughs> the Scalacci uh, uh, clan. Yeah. Go on then. Other than Louisiana, I'd say. Got any outside of Bristol? Um, outside of Bristol, obviously. Like, thing is, I didn't really travel much outside of Bristol up until a couple of years ago because of yeah. it. It took me a long time to, like, really build up the confidence to go to gigs into other in other cities. So mm -hmm. I'd say, like, probably like Moles Club and Bar. Um, oh yeah, I know that place. That's pretty good. I, I've got, I, I used to really like that place. Um, really? I mean, you're a tall guy. What are you, six? I'm six, three and a half. That's got to be only six foot ceilings in moles, right? Uh, it's a bit higher than that. Than Is it? I just that, like... we mixed we mixed one of our albums in a a mix room just opposite moles. Yeah, I had to break out of there one night. They locked us in, and I had a panic attack. Oh, can I imagine, especially if you get locked in. Honestly, it was. I was living in Cambridge at the time. The Coral had just made Invisible Invasion. They were mixing it there with um, Jeff Barrow, Adrian Utley, yeah. and Craig Sylvie. Absolute dynamite team. Three genius men. Also, also three complete contradictions at the same time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then you add in three members of the Coral, and it was just. And I remember getting the train there from Oxford. That was yeah. where I was living at the time. And then just, you know, how they come these panic attacks. I remember like having to like 
open a window and jump out and then get a taxi to Oxford. Wow. <laughs> I do remember Moles Club being particularly low ceilinged and quite... Actually, the first time I went to Moles Club, I did nearly knock myself out accidentally. It was, yeah, um, in your moves, Jeff. Yeah, but, but, it, but it, was, it was like when I was 15 years old, um, we went to see... Um, with my dad. My dad obviously had some of those picnic shows when I was like a teenager, my mum and dad did sort of thing. Um, so we went to see That's Symposium. Symposium, so was... yeah, I remember them. Yeah. Were they any good? I remember them not being very good. But I, they... I used to love them. I think I was probably the same age as them. It's hard when you... Well, I think I was probably the same as well, to be honest with you. So I think it's just, I think it's partly the energy. Well, I'm 30, I'm going to be, I'm 37 now, but I'm going to be 38 in September. In September? I'm 36, yeah. you've got one year on me. Yeah, so well, I was roughly that age range sort of thing. Right. I, really loved, I think what it was for me is that they had one or two catchy songs, but then it was also, it was the on-stage energy. You love a bit of that, don't you? Yeah, I do, to be honest with you. I, li I like my singers to be to to um be um annoyed that they have to go and play live that's what i like i like them to be like i'm better than this i saw bill callahan in have you ever been up to um not gorilla death institute in manchester no i've i've, I've, I've only been to manchester oh, like, Jeff, what you I, need to, I need to get up north more <clears throat> you do and i won't be the only person to say this i know there's a lot of people but and I, I think, you know, anytime you want to jump on our bus and come up to see North, I'm, I love showing people the North. But Death Institute's a great, it used to actually be, um, I believe, I might be wrong in saying this, I do have a habit of making things up. I think it was an institute for the deaf. Yeah. Um, and, it's a crack, and I saw Bill Callahan there. Oh, he's, he's great. Oh, the contempt he showed us. <laughs> it's like we stank. And I was so enthralled. It was just so cool. And I saw, I saw the best gig I've ever been to in my whole life was there. And that was Johnny Flynn. Do you remember Johnny Flynn? Yeah, I remember Johnny. With support from Anna Calvi. It, oh, fucking hell, Anna Calvi supporting. Anna Calvi support on her own. I think, she, no, she wasn't on her own. It was her and Mally. Um, yeah. And I remember me and my girlfriend at the time We'd gone to see Johnny Flynn because I mean I love Johnny Flynn's music. I think he's just uh, just next level. You know, I think I think I'm just a very watered down version of what he does. But to have Hannah play before it was, yeah. you know, it was just when I'd made my first record and I told Domino about it and they, you know, and all that. But um, so yeah, I think that that's a great venue. But there's there's quite a few, you know, there's quite a few up in Manchester. Gorilla's really good. Mm. I really like Gorilla. Go on anyway, but this was my question. I think also, well, based on like outside, when I, when I got to on the tour, I really enjoyed the Brixton Windmill. Brixton Windmill? Oh, yeah, I've been there. That's a great little place. It oh. is, but it's the kind of place you only end up at if you've had a bit of a heavy night. Yeah, but, I really liked, but what I really liked about it was the fact that I saw Anna Calvi play there, which was like really freaking amazing. Really? Oh yeah, that that was generally literally millimeters away from my face, sort of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, That's what you're in it for, isn't it? But, but then, but what, what I really loved about it was the fact that you know you walk down like a very ordinary suburban street, 
when you go in there, it's like kind of walking into Narnia. It's like full yeah. of like the brightly coloured paintings everywhere. There's so much like the colour and warmth of the place. Like the seventies. Yeah. It's, it's gross, but yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I like, have, you, have you been up to Liverpool much? I bet, bet you haven't then, have you? No, I haven't. Not really. At least, that's what I mean. I need to do well, more travelling, but then... Well, you should, but I mean, sadly, Liverpool is suffering from um, an, a personality disorder where the council just seem obsessed with closing down any, any, anything that could remotely resemble a musical hub, you know? Really? Yeah, I mean, the Casimir in Liverpool was... I actually was there once, actually. I've got a very funny story about me being there once. Go on, I'll have that. Um, okay, well, I, there, there was um, a band called We Yes You Know, who like a London indie rock outfit that I was supposedly technically managing. I used the word technically, I wasn't really managing them at all. But I jumped on the, on the road with them, and so we did like Manchester's, I can't remember where, where they played. So they played um, the Casimir with um, 28 costumes. Okay. Yeah, um, those guys. Um, they were a band I really, used to really, really like. And I used to have a habit of getting up at stage and stripping to my underpants. And what? And stripping to my underpants. Cool. That will have gone <laughs> well at the Casimir, though. It was a bonkers place. Yeah. I know. Uh, I nearly got kicked out of that for, for, for stripping to <laughs> You must have been a bit too edgy for him. Probably. But that place was great, though. I mean, like, the, the setup of the place, the people who ran it ran a vegan cafe called The Egg. Not The Egg. It wasn't called The Egg. What was it called? Anyway, they, they ran a vegan cafe in Liverpool for years, and that got closed down and turned into a pub, into a, you know, a gin place. And then Kaz got closed down. Um... There was a place we used to play called the Zanzibar, mm. and that was it when I was 16. So I'd just left, I'd left, I left school at 16, and then James, who was the singer in the choral, was three years older than me, yeah. so he was 19, and he'd started going to Liverpool, because we're not from Liverpool, it's like a half an hour train. So you like, maybe like the or something? Yeah, were, yeah, it terrified me the thought of going to Liverpool, you know, I was quite a um, sheltered child, and... And then we went to this place and, and it was the only place in town we could smoke weed. They'd serve us. We were all underage and serve us. Um, run by an absolute sweetheart of a guy called Tony, who yeah. um, sadly passed away a couple of years ago. And he, he fought, the council were trying to close him down so often. And he fought tooth and nail to keep it going. And he just always had these, you know, he always had whatever the kids were into. So yeah. like, the last 10 years it was just a goth place you know yeah. 16 year old angst kids like and you wouldn't go near it but those places now i think about it because because gigs have become such a um a trigger and a stress for me mm. i forget about how much those places can mean to people you know also, also the, the other thing which i'm which is probably one of the other people which i'm which i'm gonna try and speak to is um terry hooley say that again uh, it's a guy called Terry Hooley. Yeah. You won uh, Good Vibrations Records. Okay. Um, which was, uh, was uh, well, basically, he was like really influential in like the Northern Irish punk scene. All right. Punk scene, because basically, he 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 won the record shop on the on the street which they named Bum Alley. <laughs> you know, especially Bum Alley. During, the, during the during the troubles. 
Yeah, yeah, I know it. And so, um, and who's, um, so he can like, but his record shop kind of formed like a safety hub for a lot of like the alternative kids. Right, yeah. And he ended up putting out, um, so he then ended up forming Good Vibrations, like the record label. And he ended up putting out like the undersigns, teenage kicks, and like kind of all these sort of things. Yeah. And then like about how like, <clears throat> it's about how these spaces deform hubs. It's just so important. And, and I feel a bit guilty to be honest with you, because that's very, like, I, I don't mean to cause offence to anyone, but I try not to use SJM, you know, the promoters. Yeah. Because I think I, I have bad experiences with them as people, but also, you know, I just find it a little bit money grabbing, and you know. And yeah. so I'm at the stage in my career where we're still we're still using local promoters, mm. and they're choosing the venues, you know. And I love that. I'm not always sadly sadly I'm not always in the most conversational mode when I do shows. Yeah, and I, I sometimes feel a little bit embarrassed, but. Um, I can understand you, that. Mentioned, you mentioned Ireland there, and just looking back, like, God, I'm gonna have to check my phone again. I'm gonna have to check some of my tour dates. I saw, like, um, there, there, was a, there was a film made about him um, called Good Vibrations, which, um, oh, it's amazing. It's like, yeah, you, you watch it, it's just like, how the fuck did he manage to survive? You know, like, like all this, all the troubles which are happening, like, his shop, like, Nearly got blown up like three or four times. He got like yeah, in the, yeah. the amount of times that he nearly got arrested. Because like, where will I find that? Um, I think you probably find it on like most, on like most streaming sites. Sort of things. So it's a national race. Yeah, just, 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 well, just sorry to cut across you there. I'm just right. looking at some of these venues. Margate Tom Thumb Theatre. If yeah. you have a fancy shout down there, wow, that is an amazing venue. I can imagine, actually. It's so beautiful. It holds maybe 50, 60 people. And it's a genuine theatre with a pub upstairs. I mean, what? Right on the sea. Amazing. Lovely. Um, oh, up at, up at Chapel at Sheffield was nice. Really good. Ah, oh, I've lost it again. So I'll tell you, I want to try to go and visit. It's, there's one in, um, I think it's in Halifax. Where it's like an old electrical shop, which they yeah. turn, which they turn into like a gig venue, which is literally I think the maximum capacity is eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. I'd love that, mate. <laughs> I fucking love it. Let's have a yeah, let me have a little look. I'm just trying to get some of my tour dates up so I can remind myself because I've got great memories, but I never really kind of you know. Oh, here we go. Chapel Arts Centre in Bath. I remember enjoying yep. that. That's, um, that's good venue. Uh, what's that one? Oh, I played, you know what? What, what? We played a great one in Edinburgh. Was it Edinburgh? It was Edinburgh that used to be an old, um, you know, Edinburgh was kind of ahead of its time in terms of, um, I don't know what the word for it is. You know, when people like cut up bodies, post-mortems and all that. Yeah. And they had all the grave robins. Well, we played in this, this theatre that was an actual operating theatre. Oh, freaking hell. And it, that was, it was kind of creepy, but uh, it was great, you know. I love that. It's been quite creepy. <laughs> I, think I, I think it's seeing, a creepy city anyway, you know. I think I remember seeing um, 
one time seeing Rich Dawson playing in Redcliffe Caves. Really? Which, yeah, which they like in Bristol, there's a whole lot of smugglers' caves. Yeah. Like, right in the centre. Makes sense. Uh, which like interlinks like all the pubs along there. Because they used to they all used to be involved in the smuggling trade. That's amazing. And I love so, that stuff. Um, Look. It was, it was Richard Dawson playing solo, just like yep. in solo acoustic, no amplification because of like, let's face it, it echoes look fucking there anyway. Yeah, it must be a nightmare for anyone trying to yeah. sound like, yeah. So, but they, they had them, they, they, they literally lit the place by candles. Beautiful. And it was there, yeah, it, it was really amazing. It was him and a woman called Mette Rasmussen, and who's like, she was like a Norwegian saxophone player. Most of well, did, like experimental yeah. kind of jazz stuff supporting him. Nice one. Um, we've, got, we've got like, there's things in Liverpool called Williamson's Tunnels. Um, Williamson, he had them built to give people work during the famine, I think it was. And I saw By the Sea playing there once. Wow. And it, 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 it was, it was, and, and they, just, you know, I think like those, those, Local independent promoters, like I'm thinking about Tom from Harvest Sun, Harvest Sun yeah. promoters in Liverpool. You think about the work these people put in and how they want gigs to be more than just carling and loads of people in the room. And yeah. they to be, you know, and they put on, I think about some of the places that we've played over the year and the, the hoops people have to jump through to get us on. That reminds me of another really special show I saw. Which is there's this disabled American fiddle player called Galen Lee. Right. And obviously because of her disability, that meant that she had to play in a venue which had like ground floor accessible toilets. Yeah. And that was really amazing because she played in a place called the Elephant House, which is like a community like a center um disability space, just like kind of just near kind of like kind of near friendly records. Five minute warning. Okay, yeah, I know what that is, yeah. And um yeah, it's really it was really beautiful. That's and gotta be like, hard for the independent venues because they're not purpose built. Right. So it mu it must it must be quite hard for people with disabilities to get to some of those. Yeah. Some I of those really although having said that Having said that, most of them are just like ground floor. I mean, I wouldn't know. I'm not disabled. Um, yeah. I think it's partly, it depends on like, also like the toilet facilities. If the toilet's upstairs sometimes, and that can be really difficult. Oh, you don't need to tell me. I'm at the, I mean, not to make light of a serious issue, but I, it's known in my band, I'm, I'm an avid toilet goer before gigs. Yeah. If it's, if, if it's not coming out of this end, it's coming out of the other end. We'll yeah. say about like it. nerves and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> but we're at the edge, where, we're, we're at that point where it's like, um, will we get our own toilet? No one knows. Yeah. So the amount of times I've kind of like been in a toilet before a show with it, with like people talking about me. Yeah. And I'm there like, and then yeah. walk out and someone goes, all right, Bill. Yeah. Think, oh Christ! Don't walk, <laughs> yeah, don't walk in there. Don't walk in there, man. Don't yeah. Have a, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Also, what made that show really special um, with Galen Lee? He's just yeah. really beautiful. Um, she's done like like kind of like fiddle player slash singer songwriter, and she's done like a lot of stuff with 
um, like Alan Sparhawk from Low, for instance, yeah. and and I think he produced her record actually. Wow! But it's, uh, it's uh, man, her stuff is really beautiful. Um, just just say it again. I'll put it in my phone because I'm a big lover. It's, it's quite. I might have to like send you over like kind of right. or something like that. Um, Get the right. She yeah. She basically um, well <clears throat> there's a guy in Bristol who's developed a thing called ultrasound, which is like a it's like an electronic device which helps you know disabled people to be able to play music. It's like a, it's like kind of it's like a, it acts like a laser beam. What? So it's like a, it's like a laser beam which like if you went up and down the beam you can play different scales and change. Like, oh right, yeah, like a serotonin thing almost. Yeah, kind of. But it's like it's just been like the, the infrared beam has a like kind of certain distance. It showed, yeah, right, yeah, I'm with you. And one of the things which they had, so they they set up this console with. Um, with which had also got a few artists to upload songs like from performances from like this to the kit and that sort of thing yeah. uh, that they like known quite well. And they got Galen Lee to upload one of her songs because because I turned up the gig early because I'm obviously not knowing really the venue or the layout. And mm. um, I got them. They got to see Galen Lee duetting with herself. Amazing. And it was freaking. It was like I was like stood behind them just like a. <laughs> Literally, kind of like all this trauma the clown because of like she was because of because of her disabilities, like she's, she's permanently wheelchair bound, right? And and because of like the shape of her body, she has to play like the Irish fiddle, like it's a cello, okay? Yeah, yeah, and so like this sort of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. has like a loop station also on on like one arm on one arm of her wheelchairs. Wow. Or the wheelchair or something. And so she'll be looping and stuff like that. But yeah, literally oh, watching her duet with herself. Then then spend like great. 40 minutes chatting to her. She's possibly one of the most enthusiastic people I've met in a long time. Really? That's yeah. so sweet, man. Oh, yeah. No, she's, she's like, well, if, if, if I'm going to live this life, then I'm going to make the best of it of what I can. And I guess that's something we could all t- I mean, like, I think, I, yeah. Well, you know, when I mentioned before about being embarrassed, I think that, that that's part of it because I think, I don't know about yourself, but me being, you know, white middle class, yeah. you know, and, and, a, and a careerist moaner, yeah. um, you know, someone who's basically, you know, I don't have a lot of money by any stretch, but it kind of like talking about my issues is the thing that, that, pays my rent and things and I know I'm such a misery sometimes I just think god I need to slap around the face and you know <laughs> and, and and get on with it but it's such a tricky road to get well, you know I don't know about you but like people of our generation our parents were still quite um stiff up a lip you know yeah. like pull your trousers up get on with it and mine certainly were um hugely loving but very much mm. You know, you get on, and you know, and um, it's it's it, uh, yeah, I could be more aware of that. I think yeah, probably all could. It's a very self-indulgent thing, isn't it? Making music, you know, you can only really speak for yourself, and if yeah. it's going to be any good, you can only really sing about what you know. It's like, what's funny is like that's the difference between good and bad art. If, if it makes you feel something, 
Yeah, it's it's right in it. Yeah, and I think I think one thing that struck me about when we last spoke was how freely you spoke about how much a hug can mean to you. You know, huh. and and you don't hear that from men very often. And my friends are very quite quite liberal and not not macho by any stretch. But that's yeah. not something you hear a lot. And it was quite it was, it was nice. You know, it was a it's nice to be like yeah, I need that. You know. I guess the thing is, though, is that it's it's because I think it's difficult for a lot of men to admit to. Yeah. Even even people who aren't particularly macho men, sort of thing. Like actually. Yeah. Like I think it's actually difficult. Like I think it took me probably quite a while to admit to. But then when I went, hey, look, I'm just a massive softy. <laughs> you big softy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and I think that actually that that that. Actually, there can be so much, which which like a stress relief sort of thing. Yeah, no, I totally get it, and uh, totally, I totally get the need for it. You know, and sometimes music is that for me as well. Music is like the sonic equivalent of a hug. Right. Like I'll listen to certain bands because I know that it'll give me. Yeah. Like it may not necessarily be to everyone's like kind of like like best supposedly quality sort of thing. Yeah, but because if it's got some sort of charm to it, or like, or like whether it's like classical music, whether it's like um, some like kind of pop punky kind of stuff, or whether it's like kind of um, I don't know quite cloud put into words, but the sort of thing or like kind of down the pop sort of stuff. Well, that, that's why music is such a um, a, a, a strange thing because we we're so encapsulated by its magic mm. we have this desire to talk about it and it, it kind of exists on the other plane of talking about it, it, it mm. you, you want to talk about it but you never will do it justice it is yeah. its own uh, conversation isn't it and it's it's um i feel i feel that we've kind of lost that um certainly when i was at school i didn't find there was much education in in terms of what music can actually be you know no yeah. one ever said you can do you know you can do this right music mm. is not for the privileged it's not for x y and z you know and um and i think that leads into the understanding of music i think we've got a bit of a yeah. vortex got this kind of post oasis vortex happening where you know this this dangerous kind yeah. of lad it falls into like certain like it's got to be categorized and yeah. Like that. Whereas sometimes I find myself, I mean, like, it's also what I find really interesting is seeing how music also affects environments. Right. So, like, for instance, like, so if you're going to see a film, quite often you know the environment of the film because, of, like, you'll hear certain sound or you'll hear, like, all like melodies or something like that. Or, like, um, sometimes you'll be able to hear. And it's and it's like how different sounds, especially with me, it changes my mood. Oh uh, yeah, totally. I, I think I'm only just discovering. I, I think because I turn off most films before they're halfway through. Mm. Inevitably, the ones that I watch all the way through have a good soundtrack. You know? Yeah, <laughs> well, it's got to have something which carries it with it, doesn't it? Hey, it's got to have something which carries you know the film with it. Yeah. Carries. Well, well, I think it's okay to know what what can, what what it is that turns your taps on. Mm. 
I'm not, like I said to you, I'm not a visual person. I don't, you know, I can see beauty in things. Yeah. But they, it, but nothing I see can touch me in the way that um, yeah, Elgar's cello concerto. Like we, me and my partner watched a film called um, Hillary and Jackie the other week. Yeah. And it's about Jacqueline Dupre and, and she, a very famous cellist showing you. Yeah. Um, who, it was phenomenal um, player and really kind of ahead of a time and in a world full of institutionalized kind of white dudes playing like this and she given it all this beans yeah. and and the film itself bored me after about 10 minutes but the music was Elgar all the way through and I think it's it's fine to and I had struggled with that because my old band were like big film heads and you know if you haven't seen this film you missed out on a lot of conversation but yeah it's totally cool just to be like, oh, you know what? I, that, not, that doesn't do it for me. What what does it for me is frequency. And I like to feel yeah. a rumble in my ever-expanding gut. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I've definitely got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, mine's could definitely, I'm not going to be so much big to more like ex-elder. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you've got the height, mate. I'm just a... Short ass with a big bottom. Well, <laughs> you see, got something good for you. Spinal well, tap points. Big ass. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you, it's, it's tricky, man. Like, in my profession, every photo is taken from underneath, you know. Yeah. You come off tour, you start, to, you like two weeks before tour, you're like, all right, get healthy for tour because everyone's going to take a photo. Mm. Uh, and then halfway through tour, you've been drinking and eating crap for, and you just. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then you like go on Instagram one at night and someone's like, amazing gig. And it's just a photo of you like. Yeah. And It's right. And all of a sudden all those songs that you cared so much about that gave you life, like some of the songs I've written have, have, have kept me going, mm. you know, like when I've needed to, cause I have a diso uh, disassociative disorder. So sometimes I, I find it hard to relate to myself in yeah. the world. And my music is a really good way of, I can always feel the music. I can always go back yeah. and listen to my albums and go, that's me, undeniably. I remember saying that. I can emotionally connect to that through the music. And um, But that all goes out of the window when someone takes a bad photo of you, because the narcissism. Yeah. Of course, it's like you're so judgmental of your own image as well. It's like, I find that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much in a weird way the same, sort of thing. I mean, who isn't, man? Yeah. Like, you saw, you know, I mean, my partner is like, just insanely beautiful and, and she's exactly the same. And it's, it's totally all right to, to feel like that, yeah. you know, and it's, it's all right for your friends to say, oh, that's ridiculous. You're beautiful. And it's all right for you to not believe them. Mm. It's, um, just feel like there's too much pressure on everyone yeah. just across the board. And now more so than ever, I feel like people are, are aware of that. You know, it's... Anyone, sorry, sorry for cooking on your, in your flow. Hey. But one ridiculous thing I've got to do at some point is um, to write when, once all the lockdown stuff finishes and I get back into working with the filmmaking lot again, I've got to somehow write, record <coughs> and, uh, and make my own like animated musical. Wow. Yeah. That's no small feat. Yeah, it's going to be like a 20 minute short for a little film, but, but I did the sound, I did all the soundtracks for my other films, sort of thing. 
Yeah. Like I thought I had hands and then something. You can um, do this, though. But yeah, basically, like, so, like, I'm technically going to be having to, um, I mean, I'm going to have to technically be recording myself singing. Oh, shit. That is horrible. Oh, God. Actually, did. Actually, have already done that already for one of my films before. I'm sure, I'm sure, but it doesn't help at all. Like, that is the, ah, oh God, yeah. Well, I don't envy you there. I mean, I've, <laughs> if you want a tip, just um, talk yeah. in tune. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I think that, um, obviously, like, with all my films, they've all told, like, kind of different parts of my personal lives. Sort of thing. So like I did, the first one was like me improv rapping slash beat poetry, kind of like just about whole load of things and just throwing things together. That sounds psychotic. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of is actually. But, but I'm interested. And then um, the second film I did was about um, I wrote, I decided to write some to my long lost kind of uncle Andrew, who I haven't seen in about twenty years. Yeah. yeah, I'm listening. I just want to close this, please. Um, and then it's, um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Just, just rewind. Your this, this one about your long lost uncle was that a rap as well, Jeff? No, it's it's actually like we decided to write a like sixty style kind of garage pop. Oh, okay, right, okay. You which I ended up singing like accidentally like Morrissey. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> almost not quite yeah. like that. Actually, actually, had to do all the harmonies as well. Like that, so like I actually end up doing three part harmonies actually. Okay, exactly. Jesus Christ, yeah, nice work. And then that's like a chore, yeah. And the last one was about which we got like um, uh, Travis to do like a classical kind of composition for like semi classical sort of composition bits. It was about me when I was in. When I was when I went to the hospital and about going in a coma and yeah uh, and that sort of thing. Are these available to hear, or is this, have they been consigned to your vaults? Yeah, they're, 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 I'll, I'll find them and I'll, I'll find yeah. I'll find, if I can find them and I'll find turn them your way. See what you think. Put that. Put them online. Maybe people yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll somewhere. Because I said if I can find them. Oh. Okay. If, I can right. find, if I can find them. You know full well you can find them. It's whether <laughs> it's whether you decide to send them on. Oh, no, well, I'll definitely I'll definitely send them on to you anyway. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. want to hear them, if you want to watch them, something. Yeah, well, I would be interested. Yeah. yeah. Also, the guy who I've been um, one of the guys I've been working with is a guy called Joff Winterhart, who's a really amazing graphic novelist, and he had his first novel. Um, Turned into a motion picture, which is being released in June, actually. Yeah, called um, Days of Bagnold Summer. Days of? Uh, Bagnold Summer. Okay. And it's, um, it's, it's very like, I'd say that his, that his writing style is like somewhere between Ghost World and Alan Bennett. Okay. English sense of humour. Yeah, yeah. And he had Bell and Sebastian did the soundtrack for him. Wow. Yeah, because the soundtrack album's been out for like pretty much a year, sort of thing, and it features like them doing re recordings and recordings of like of various Balance Bastion songs. And it's directed by. Did you put the soundtrack out first? 
Yeah. Why? I think it's for the struggling with finding film distribution. To drum up a bit of support, of course. Yeah. That's amazing that Bell and Sebastian would commit to something before it's been. Well, I think they're, they're, I think they're friends with him anyway. So I think they're, I think that they're, they're, they're somewhere along the pipeline where they've, they've definitely met each other. It's annoying, man. All my friends work in fucking factories. None of them are filmmakers. Seems to be the way you get into film, into writing music for films. You know, Clint Mansell and. You should, uh, you should definitely give it a go. I think. Well, I've done. I've actually scored. I've scored a couple of films. It's what I started. The reason we made my first album was not to release properly. It was just to send to production houses to try and get me some work in that. Because mm. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want to write music. And um, I made, I made um, a soundtrack to a film called Piggy by a guy called Kieran Hawkes, who's an absolute gem of a guy and went on to become incredibly successful. And it, it starred a lot of really... Martin Comston was in it. Mm. Um, the man from Peaky Blinders, Paul Anderson Thompson. Fuck, I'm terrible at name. Yeah. But it just never took on. I just and I just assumed that I wasn't kind of good enough or whatever. And it just yeah, it, it, I would love to do more of that. But sometimes it's just down to luck, and it's like down to like. I, I that's what I tell myself. Yeah. I think I think it is true. So I think that I mean. I think that's also something which John Parrish said because he gave a speech at uh, the watershed about how about doing film soundtracks. So I think that some of it was just down to being in the right time, right place. I mean that that's certainly true of most things in life, isn't it? But um, when you put yourself in the right place at the right time, as often as I have, and not can't work from it, you start to question. But then it's like, it's part, I could probably say the same about myself, but then, yeah, then mean, it's not saying like, not always knowing how to take advantage of the things. Yeah. And again, that's why I come back to management. That's, and that's why I talk to all my artists that I work with about the importance of a good manager. Because yeah. you are, if you're interested in art, probably the last thing you're interested in is managing fucking anything. Yeah. Like I can't manage. I've seven. I've still not eaten. I freaking out. You know, I like can't manage anything. Yeah. Um. So they're dead in. Sweet. Definitely need to eat. Oh, I'm gonna eat in a minute. I mean, I say I had a packet of squares, salt and vinegar, a big pack. <laughs> That's not exactly eating, though, is it? No, it isn't. But um, I've, I've got. Like, come on, you need you need to definitely get like. That's the things I think that if uh, when I sometimes struggle when when it comes to looking after myself is. The old eating sort of thing. Really? And then I found also that well, my parents had said that the best way to kind of make yourself feel better is to cook yourself a good meal. It's and, true. It, and it can be like really easy. No, it's right. And it's it just, I just think some, some days, um, some days you just don't have it in you, you know? Hmm. Of course, you know. I think it's good to accept that I'm having those days. Yeah, well, I, I stopped giving myself a hard time for things I can't control. I mean, like, I know I know it's not healthy to get to 7 o'clock and just have a pack of crisps. And it's super rare because, yeah. I mean, I love food and I eat too much. Like, you know, the, the white breads and the pasta. Yeah. Um, uh, there's some days, you know, you just... Me, me, me dad's very similar, you know. He said to me, like, 
if I have a big meal the night before, I'm kind of not hungry until the next evening. And I think that if yeah. that's where you are, then that's that's all right, you know. Uh, yeah, that's me. I'm not having go at you at all, really, because I'm 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 not exactly I'm not exactly one to speak either. <laughs> you struggle with it a little bit. A little bit. I think it's I think it is like that whole thing of like kind of it is that thing of of understanding self love. Really, isn't it? I think it's it's what it comes down to, and then. But also with, with that self-love, being able to understand that you're going to have on days and off days. Yeah, and it's so lovely to hear you talk about that because it, 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 it's... How do you do it on your own? When, see, see, when I'm with someone, then it becomes a communal thing, cooking and eating together, it's quite mm. fun. But on my own, I just don't seem to find the time to really... It's about giving yourself time, isn't it? And it's, yeah. Every everyone with the best intention will say that to you, and it's such a hard thing to navigate and to master. Because mm. um, I, I you know, it's 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 kind of <clears throat> personally, I've spent my since I was sixteen. My self worth has pretty much been wrapped up in music. Yeah. What I, you know, whether with the choral, it was what I could add to James's songs. Now it's my songs. So if I write a great song or I consider it a great song. And that is food and alcohol and spends for a few weeks. You know, I kind of that's the high that I don't really need much else. And then on the flip side, if you're not eating anything, you feel like, oh, I've got to, I've got to work on this. Like for example, when lockdown started, I was meant to be making an album, yeah, writing an album, not making an album. And then I got, you know, and no one meant any harm by it, but I got some texts from the label and my management saying you know oh isn't this terrible but hey i guess at least you'll have time to write because yeah. apparently all i do is moan about not having time to write but everyone was like you know and then all of a sudden this pressure came on me like shit yeah of course I've, hmm. that, I've got no excuses you know if the pubs aren't open yes yeah. so like you know there's nothing else that i can't Three things I like playing football, going to the pub and writing yeah. music. And I can only do one of them right now. And it, it stressed me for about six, uh, about three weeks. I just couldn't write a note. Yeah. And, and again, like, luckily my partner has a similar outlook to you and is very, was pushing this, you know, like, well, you've got to be kind to yourself and, and, mm -hmm. and know that you're more than just someone who, who turns out music, who, who, who puts music out there and yeah. kind of, embarrasses themselves for the sake of but you're so uh, much more than that you're so much more you know, but, 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 and, but and it's not it's i'm not saying this so i can get a pat on the back but it's no. just i think it's a very common thing that people have isn't it you know yeah it's it's it's, it's so true i think it's yeah i wouldn't know i wouldn't quite know how to phrase it myself really well it, it's a, it's but i mean like it's a I tell you one thing, it, it makes me feel proud to actually be friends with people who like, who can, you know, and do like, kind of, I guess, call them interesting things like, you know, like you picking out records and that sort of thing. And I think of that as something I've, I've never done myself. So I think of that as being something like, something that I've yet to obtain. Or like, obviously, my friend Jeff has had this like the graphic novel turned into a film, or like, or like, yeah, I don't know how to put it into words, really. No, I, I get what you're saying, and I think, I think, I think when, 
people who, who don't make a career out of making music or whatever and aspire to it see it as this wonderful thing and it's very easy to forget and it is a wonderful thing it's super easy for people like yourself to forget mm. how privileged you are to have been in the right place at the right time and stuff like that but i do think the older you get you do you, it's it's more about you know people like i i meet people like yourself all over the place people with challenges and issues you know people contact me quite often on social media people who i consider our kind of our you know people who don't are we frozen yeah. being dead still are they dead still <laughs> listening um sorry and i think i think i think that's what i look for more now in in people that i want to speak to and be around is people that i won't have to explain myself to why i can't do this why like my, I've got two really wonderful, I've got quite a few wonderful friends and I've got Anthony, my oldest friend, and then Liam, who's one of my other best friends, but Liam is, has similar issues to me, you know, some days can't get out of bed, some days can't go to the shops. Mm. And being around those people is such a, such a gift. And you just, it's impossible for other people who haven't struggled with those issues to really to really comprehend them, you know, and I think mm -hmm. for me, being friends with people like that, is those people don't want anything other than friendship. It gives, you, you know, it gives you a grounding as well. It does, yeah. Well, yeah. being alone is feeling alone is the worst. Yeah, it's the worst thing, you know. And yeah. I really sympathise with you at this time because, I mean, for me, I'm I'm quite, you know, the challenge of being in all the time that that hasn't really bothered me a great deal because I'm not overly social. I, I, I don't really go to gigs in my own time. Yeah. But people like yourself where it's an absolute, it's so linked, intrinsically linked to your mental well-being. Yeah. I think it has been for you, But also I think it's, I think, I think that actually that I've dealt with a lot of people, a lot better than I would have expected to deal with it, to be honest with you. I, right. think, I think part of that's, been partly because of having creative outlets, partly because of also being able to have video calls and stuff like that, seeing people's faces. And, and, and to be honest, I've also been actually quite a sheltered person myself. So I didn't really grow up around a huge amount of people. So like I've always been on my own. So like even when even when I've been going out to gigs and festivals, I've been doing things on my own. Yeah. So well, there's, there's a difference between being okay on your own yeah. and then that being your only option. Yeah. So I, I love like part of the problem I had when I, when I got agoraphobia, when my agoraphobia started was I would love, I always wanted to be on my own, but I wanted to do things, you know, yeah. I, I'd, go, I'd go for mile walks with yeah. CD player, Bob Marley, Pink Floyd, you know, smoke a bit of weed. And that was the hardest thing. Like, was was being on my own on my own as opposed to being on my own you know with the freedom and i think this this i'm i'm speaking to some of my friends who i consider slightly more normal or regulated than myself mm. and the struggles they're having with just not being able to go out and, and you just go christ almighty huh? I guess, I guess <laughs> the, the, 
Oh, um, so I guess that part of it's because of their, they've got so settled into their routine that yeah. the things they sort of with kind of me is not being so much the big things hasn't phased me so much, but it's more of the little things. Really? I think actually, I think that, I mean, I guess I've been really lucky so when I had really ultra luck, ultra supportive kind of caring support like parents who did yeah. who did shelter me to certain extent so they knew that I had difficulties, they knew that I that, that even though I had I had no di official diagnosis of anything apart from my learning difficulties, mm. um they just kind of knew because of my behaviours were different as a to my other kids at the time. Yeah. And um so that, they just like they they basically over my life have basically just like been there supportive and facilitated me in whatever I wanted to do really. And my parents very much the same. It's wonderful mm. loving people and um aren't we lucky, you know? Yeah. It's true. Is that you know you see it, I know people who who don't have that and don't have a friendship group, you know, like Yeah. That is, that's isolation on another level, you know, being stuck at home is one thing, but not having people who you feel... Well, you only want to talk to. Yeah, and, and be excited about things with, and the joy of saying so, and I've heard this record, and you're yeah. going to love it, man, and it's going to, and then listening to it and coming back, and that, that back and forth, um, there's no reason why that has to end, uh, no. you know, um, but it's just... You just realise people have, when it gets like this, you realise people have other commitments, you know. I've not really, um, you know, people with kids, you know, obviously they're not going to be in touch as much yeah. as they have. Of course, they've got their own lives going on. I, it, it's kind of frustrating that people have forgotten that I'm the most important thing in their life. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm popping around with bundles of food and drink and... Yeah. But they're also very, but they're also really appreciative. I think. So I think they're appreciative for the support and for you know. Yeah. The fact that they're having someone who's thinking about them, sort of thing. Well, it, it, it's weird, isn't it? It doesn't take a lot to reach out. Um, I think gives gives you a bit of confidence. Obviously, this country is in an absolute state. Yeah. We're being run by people who don't care about people like you and me yep. at all. And could quite, would quite happily do without us um, if we didn't make them so much money. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really important that you do have these communities. And as you said before, you know, seeing, you know, the people who work at uh, who work at these independent venues, and you know, they serve a lot of they they do a lot of what um, the government should be doing. You know, we're seeing yeah. it right now. You know the people are putting their hand in the pocket to bail out the NHS. I know. I mean, like... The government has been actively underfunding it for decades. Well, the, NHS, the NHS should not be treated as a charity. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's wonderful that people are doing this, but, like, where's the anger? Yeah. Where, where's the... You cheeky fuckers have been underfunding this for 20 years. So you can sell it off to your buddies. Yeah. Now here we are all dying, and... And you know what? And... It, it's, it, it makes you very angry and we could all have, I could have gone to, I could have done more and 
yeah. more of a voice about it. I felt I did me bit, but it's scary to see just how, how that this political landscape is so like obviously we all knew Boris Johnson got his got the nod because he will do anything he's told and yeah. he push Brexit right. through. He's basically a puppet to Dominic well, Cummins. Yeah, of course. And 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 I saw a really good tweet the other day by this lady who writes for um, Times in New York saying, you know, Boris is a, he was put there because he'll push Brexit through and the whole Tory, yeah. um, well, not the whole, you know, but the vast majority of the Tory new boys were brought in because they were pro-Brexit and, yeah. and you see it now, like, Cummins, Rab, they haven't got a clue what to fucking say yeah. about this pandemic because they, they're morons, you know, yeah. and, and, that's sad. That it's sad, but... How many people have to die and... You know, like, like you and me, I, I'm sure you're in the same position as me, like, we're lucky, you know, I feel very lucky. My parents, both from council states, work their asses off. Yeah. Um, my mother is still a carer. She's been working throughout this whole thing. Mm. Um, even, even working for people who've said to her, you know, don't. She's dropping things off at people's doors, and yeah. you know what I mean. And and my dad is a gardener, and grafted his up. I must and, say, I'm, I'm really lucky to been having like kind of one of those carers myself, you know. Right. And uh, it's kind of like because of like she used to come into my flat and to to keep you know the upkeep sort of thing and make yeah. sure that I had my bills paid and like kind of made sure that. You know, that she'd help me with doing my like washing and washing up. Yeah, making sure there wasn't anything extra to to, yeah. to compound and deflate you too much. Yeah, uh, basically, yes. Well, she still helps me with like doing my like doing my washing something. Right, like, so. she'll come around and, and she'll also like still stop around and have like a 20 30 minute chat sort of thing. Like, a, well, a few minutes that's, away. that's what I, I you tend to find with people who are carers, mm. they they do this because there's, they couldn't be further away from Tory politicians. These are people who care so much that they risk their lives and do it for way less than they deserve. Yeah, definitely. And they are, and, and that's the problem. I and mean, my mum's very similar. People will take advantage of that. Yeah. Because it's in her soul to care for people. They're called carers, not as a profession, yeah. but a vocation, you know. And, and, uh, and here we are clapping for them on a Thursday and it's beautiful and wonderful. Beautiful, it's beautiful symbolism but it's also like kind of kind of empty when you see to some extent. I, I it's it's challenging that that clapping thing because yeah. you know uh, Abby upstairs works for the NHS and yeah. so I want her to know that we appreciate her. Of course. But I'd much rather not have to clap and her and her get paid hundred grand a year. Yeah, exactly. Which is, what should, which is what they should be getting paid, you know. Yeah. Right. But what's it going to take? I mean, like, people seem so apathetic. You know, like, if this ain't going to cause some kind of political revolution, then nothing will. Well, these these people have contributed to the deaths. Boris Johnson have contributed to the deaths of fifty thousand people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to get too. Dark at the end of the <laughs> ten to eight, I've still got to have my pasta. Well, but yeah, it, sorry, it's ten to eight now, but, is it? But it does. But it. But what it does. What I have noticed is that it is. Just, on my, just on my streets, people 
we're so much more together and you, there is a genuine sense of mm. us and them and I just hope that the political landscape reflects and, and people like my wonderful father yeah. all of a sudden realise that the Tories aren't for them and um, I'd, you know, so I I'd probably try and do is try and find some sort of creative outlet for well, it, really. <clears throat> just another reason why the Tory government have, have made an active um, move against the working classes, you know? Yeah. Denying people um, a chance to express themselves is a is a evil, evil thing. Mm. And denying um, children with special needs and and um, you know, children with, with with educational issues and uh, do so well out of the creative arts. Yeah. And the, the, the amount of underfunding, this this it's like a active. It feels very much. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it feels like an active move. You know, it's dark. Anyway. Yeah. On that note, I should probably go and eat something, Jack. Yeah. Look up, Seth Bill. I don't want to get too like sweary and. Because no, uh, it's positivity, isn't it? That's what we want. That's what we yeah. want out into the world and love. Also, oh, empathy as well. Very and important. Kindness and understanding. Which, which is why I'm lucky I've got brought up by two softies myself. That's right. That's right. Well, that, that, I think that's absolutely right. Understanding leads to acceptance. Um, it takes very little effort to accept something if you if you take the time to understand it. I think, uh, I think it's also just like speaking to people in general. Yeah. If you learn if you learn in a way to like not talk down to anyone, then that is then that's a big step forward. Right on. Jeff for president. No, no, no. <laughs> Alright, I'll take the job. I, I wouldn't want my ego to get that big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I can't see that but... Alright mate. Yeah. Great talking to you, John. Lots of love, mate. Speak to you soon. Thank you, Bill. All the best, lad. Bye. 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 I don't know what I'm doing either. <laughs>